Be seated. And when you are, please open your copies of God's Word to the book of Romans, chapter 12. This morning we're going to be reading the first eight verses. We'll be uh, reading the two we covered the last time we talked about Romans, as well as the new ones before us today, Romans 12, 3 through 8. As you turn there, I just remind you that Paul has indicted everybody, the whole world. He's told us we all need Christ. We all need uh, the gospel. He's told us that salvation is through faith alone, by the finished work of Christ alone. And he's pointed out the ways in which the ancient church went astray. They knew that. But then they got their eyes on the ceremonial law and started thinking that their righteousness came from how they were performing it rather than the promise of the Messiah that was to come. He told us not to be shaken. God has a plan and everything is going exactly according to that plan. And now in chapter 12, he's started to turn a corner here and he's really talking about Um, how we're living the Christian life. So that is where uh, we are this morning. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse one. Hear God's word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned." For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word and we're grateful for how it is a light to our feet, how it shows us how to live, how to find true joy how to walk and follow the Lord Jesus. We're grateful for your word. And yet, Lord, we realize that this is a spiritual endeavor, preaching and hearing preaching. We can't hear unless you give us ears to hear, spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. And so, Lord, we ask, we beg, that your spirit would be known here and that your word would be clear as day. Lord, tell us what we need to hear. Please guide us, encourage us, rebuke us if necessary. Lord, help us. Uh, We'd ask it in Christ's name and for his glory's sake. Amen. 
Uh, One thing that you may or may not know about my wife is that she didn't, although she was born in America, she didn't know um, how to speak English until she was about eight years old. Um, She was born to immigrant uh, parents, and they spoke Spanish in the home. Uh, But when she was about eight years old, her teacher uh, warned her parents, listen, if, if she doesn't start uh, getting a hold of English, she is going to start falling behind. And so her parents came up with a plan. Mom spoke to her in Spanish at home, but dad only in English. And this, uh, this helped her. This helped her to really understand English. And she says that something happened in fourth grade. Things, she says, started to click the fog uh, started to clear. Um, she she uh, began to understand English. It, it, at that point, made sense to her. And when she started thinking rightly, she began to thrive. In fact, she began to flourish. She became an excellent student. And God wants the same thing for you. He wants you to think rightly. He wants you to flourish. He wants the church to thrive. So he uses the Apostle Paul to instruct you about how you ought to think about yourselves and about your fellow believers and about the gifts that he has given to you. You can see right away in verse 3 that it's about our thinking. The word think is there three times in verse 3, isn't it? The Apostle Paul wants you to think with sober judgment. He wants you to think clearly, biblically. He wants you to think rightly. And he begins by telling you how to think rightly about yourself. That's our first heading. Think rightly about yourself. Think rightly about yourself. It makes sense that Paul would address our thinking here. After all, uh, beginning at the beginning of the chapter, uh, he tells believers to offer themselves up to God as a living sacrifice. You're to continually pr- present your life to God, not as a lifeless offering, but as an ongoing expression of your love, your gratitude, your service, and your dedication to him. And then in verse 2, he tells you not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Christians are urged to make a break from their old way of thinking and from the thinking of the world. God wants your mind to be filled and renewed with the truth of Scripture so that you will know his will so that you will know him. He wants you to think rightly. And following these two verses, Paul gets specific. How should you think about yourself? In verse three, Paul writes, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Paul gives this exhortation with authority and directs it to the entire church, including you. 
The first thing Paul says after exhorting you to have a renewed mind is to think rightly about yourself. Thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think is a universal tendency. But sometimes pride and arrogance can be more noticeable than at other times. People who think highly of themselves tend to dominate conversations and interrupt you to point out their achievements or maybe to remind you how smart they are. They have a way of habitually steering discussions back to themselves. And they often portray a know-it-all attitude and diminish the value and contributions of others. We need to be careful about this. It can be subtle. We need to keep an eye on our hearts and on our mouths. Other times, people with an inflated view of themselves consistently offer unsolicited advice and correction, even in areas where they have no expertise. They think more highly of themselves than they ought. Perhaps the most subtle and prevalent tendency among us is expecting others to cater to our needs. This happens in personal and professional settings as well as the church. There's an expectation to be served rather than to serve. But Christians are called to have the mindset of Christ who came not to serve or to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark 10, 45. In Philippians 2, verses three through five, God's word says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own, only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The text goes on to point out the ultimate example of humility in the person of Christ, who despite being in the form of God, emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. Jesus was willing to leave the glories of heaven to come down to earth. Why? To fulfill the will of the Father because sinners needed Christ desperately. We need forgiveness. Jesus came to save his people. The heart of the Savior is full of love and compassion, forgiveness, selflessness. Jesus thinks of others. This is the mind of Christ. It's an outlook, an attitude that says, God has called me to serve, to love him and to love my neighbor. He's called me to love his bride, the church. 
It's a mindset that asks, what needs to be done? How can I help him? How can I support her? How can I come alongside them? How can I use what God has given me to bless others? Paul says not to think too highly of yourself. So how should you think of yourself? In verse 3, he says, Think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He's urging you to evaluate yourself realistically and without exaggeration. The phrase sober judgment implies a clear, rational, and balanced assessment. Rather than harboring inflated views of your importance or abilities, you're called to have a realistic and humble understanding of yourself. This involves acknowledging strengths and weaknesses without pride or false modesty. Paul's encouraging you to have a self-awareness that aligns with this truth of Scripture and your identity with Christ and the recognition that all your abilities are ultimately derived from God's grace. God wants you to think rightly about yourself and your fellow believers. How we think about ourselves inevitably influences how we engage with others around us, forming the foundation for our second point, thinking rightly about fellow believers. That's our second heading. Think, think rightly about fellow believers. Let me ask you a question. Do you have something around your house that you're holding on to even though it's missing parts and it doesn't work anymore, you're, you're holding on to it with that hope that one day you're going to discover those parts. Let me give you an example. I had a coffee pot, a 40, 42 cup. I'm not that, I don't drink that much coffee, but I have guess. A 42 cup coffee pot. And it was missing the cable and it was a special cable. But I, I, I couldn't find one. I had that thing around for years. Eventually though, I got a new cable. And right now I have a keyboard and a mouse, a wireless one that has a, a tiny little USB dongle that you plug into your computer. And I lost the little USB dongle. I've looked for it everywhere. Ten times. I keep looking for it. And even now I have the hope. Uh, my keyboard and my mouse sit in the closet and they stare at me every time I open uh, the closet door. Do you have something like that in your house? Something that's missing parts. When it's missing parts, it's useless. It doesn't work. It's broken. It needs all the parts to function in the way it was designed to function. Well, Paul says the church is like that. Something, uh, it's made up of many parts. It's made up of many people. People of different types and different talents. Each one is designed to function with the others as one. 
Each one is vital and important for the whole. Draw your attention to verse four. Paul writes, for as in one body, we all have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Paul refocuses our attention from thinking rightly about ourselves to thinking rightly about fellow believers. And he does this by picturing the church as a human body. He loves this illustration. He he loves this metaphor. He uses it here as well as in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians, and in Colossians. Paul's emphasizing the one another nature of Christianity. He wants you to understand the corporate nature of Christianity. Our faith is personal, but it's not individualistic. Just as our physical bodies have various members with essential functions, the body of Christ operates in a similar way. This highlights both our diversity and our unity. In terms of diversity, each member is unique and important in the body. In regard to our unity, we're all one body in Christ. And you'll notice Paul's illustration highlights three characteristics of the body of Christ. It's unity, diversity, and mutuality. It's unity, diversity, and mutuality. Consider our our unity. If you scan verses four and five, you'll see that it stresses one body. One body in which we are all members. And our unity isn't just something we're to strive for. It's real. It's concrete. Our unity isn't merely organizational or social. It's deeply spiritual. In Romans 6, Paul discusses our union with Christ through baptism, signifying a spiritual identification with his death and resurrection. Our unity is rooted in Christ's redemptive work. And believers have been transformed by the Holy Spirit and and share the same spiritual nature. We've been born from above. We've received this new nature that we have in common as we are united in Christ. But there's also an intentional diversity to the body of Christ. Paul says not all have the same function. We're different. There's diversity. Recognizing and embracing the diversity within the body of Christ is essential because it reflects God's intentional design for his people. You all, you all have a function and role in the body. You're unique, you're unique, and it's supposed to be that way. 
It's by design. You have a purpose within the body. You're called to serve. You're called to serve. Each believer is important and brings their own contribution. And this diversity fosters a sense of interdependence where each member's distinctiveness complements the others. Our diversity should promote our unity, our mutuality. Paul says we're members one of another. We're members one of another. When one member rejoices, the others rejoice. When one member hurts, the others hurt. Each of us belongs to and needs the others. This is God's design for the church. The church is no place for lone soldiers. Soldiers belong to a unit. Your church attends your church attendance. It's important. Imagine if your thumbs only showed up every other time. It would be too good, would it? Your church attendance is important. You're supposed to be here. You're part of the body. You're important. Unity isn't always easy, is it? It's not. We're broken. We're sinners. And sometimes we're hard to get along with. There is a need for patience. There's an opportunity for sanctification, isn't there? There's a need for patience, for forgiveness. Listen, for reasonableness. Be reasonable. Reasonableness. Compromise. Not sinful compromise, but a willingness to meet someone in the middle on non-essential matters or to simply be willing to concede. There's a need to have a mind, the mind of Christ. Self-sacrificial love. The love of the Savior the love of your Savior. God wants you to think rightly about these matters. He wants you to think rightly about yourself and your fellow believers and the gifts that he's given you. Each believer has a unique role in the body of Christ and has been equipped with spiritual gifts for its benefit. Therefore, he wants you to think rightly about your gifts. That's our third heading. Think rightly about your gifts. I received a big steel fire pit for my birthday. Now, this was a couple of birthdays ago. And it was coming up on my birthday again, and I still haven't, I still hadn't put it together. It's still in the box. And so I got, the, I got this thing out, got my screwdriver, got all my stuff. I put together this uh, steel uh, fire pit. And I still haven't used it, but it's put together. 
you can come over and help me complete the, the task. We'll have a fire um, together. I get one step at a time, I guess. Have you ever had a present like that? Someone's given you a gift, but for whatever reason you haven't used it, you, you leave it on the shelf. Have you ever had one like that? Maybe you do. Maybe it's still on the shelf. What a waste. What a waste to have a gift that just sits there on the shelf collecting dust. Gifts are meant to be used. They're meant to be enjoyed. They're meant to be a blessing to others. Well, as our text continues, Paul says that God has given every believer gifts. He's given you gifts to bless others with. In verse six, look what he writes. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We all have gifts. Verse three makes it plain that this text is addressed to everyone. No Christian, no Christian is left out. You may not have one of the gifts that's in the list here in our text, but you do have at least one spiritual gift. This list of gifts isn't meant to be exhaustive. Paul mentions other lists. He has other lists of gifts in other portions of Scripture. This list is meant to summarize the types of gifts that the church possesses. You'll notice that there are seven gifts listed in our text. And we might group these gifts into two categories, teaching gifts and serving gifts or verbal gifts and nonverbal gifts. The teaching gifts include prophecy, teaching, exhortation, and leading. The leading here likely refers to official, formal leadership in the church, and that usually involves teaching on some level. The serving gifts include service, giving, and showing mercy. Of course, this doesn't mean that the ones who speak don't serve and that the ones who serve never speak. These are simply categories that help us to see the word and deed ministry in the church. The first gift that Paul mentions is prophecy. He says that prophecies must be in proportion to our faith. Those in Paul's day who had the gift of prophecy mustn't deviate from the apostolic teaching. In verse seven, Paul recognizes the gift of service. The word service here is from the same word that we derive the word deacon. It describes a variety of service and carries the idea of practical help for those in need. Next, Paul addresses the gift of teaching. The Lord has blessed the church with teachers so that we would be equipped with knowledge and understanding. It's important. 
We're people of the book, people of the word, people who have been told we need our minds renewed. Teaching is important. There's also the gift of exhortation mentioned in verse eight. The root idea is to come alongside someone and encourage them with a word. Exhortation can take many forms. Warning, advice, counsel, encouragement. It could be formal, it could be informal. Some of you, I know, have the gift of encouragement. You're always so encouraging when I talk to you. Uplifting, you remind me of the truth and of Christ and of his word. It keeps you going. A word in season. Next, Paul mentions the one who contributes. Those with the gift of giving are called to give with generosity, the kind of generosity that reflects God's generosity. And you'll notice that those who are called and equipped for formal leadership are to lead with zeal. Those chosen for leadership roles should lead with enthusiasm. Leaders shouldn't be casual or careless. No. No, instead, they should view their skills as as gifts from God and their responsibilities have been given by him. Lastly, there's the gift of showing mercy. Those who show mercy to the poor, weak, and hurting are to be cheerful as they serve. Draw your attention to verse 6. Paul says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. You hear that? Whatever your gift is, use it. Put it to use, enjoy it. Let others enjoy it. Use the gift for God's glory and for the good of his bride. Where are you supposed to find the motivation to do this? Do you remember verse one? Believers are called to respond to God's mercies. It's out of a response to God's mercies. We're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Our lives should be ongoing expressions of love and gratitude and devotion to God. We're motivated by the grace we've received in Christ. We're motivated by our gratitude. We're motivated by our love for him. It's not a burden to me to serve the one I love. Use the gift. Well, how do you know what your gifts are? That could be a tricky one sometimes. Sometimes it's good to ask a mentor or someone who's spiritually mature. Often our gifts are more obvious to others than they are to us. And remember, one of the very first people in Scripture who's explicitly said to have been filled with the Holy Spirit was equipped with ability and knowledge for what? 
for work in craftsmanship and artistic design. Exodus 31, verses one through five. You can be equipped in a lot of ways, huh? Woodworking even. Design. Making clothing. Curtains for the tabernacle. God equips in many ways. What's your gift and how can you use it for the Lord? God gives a wide variety of gifts to bless his church. Your gifts were given to you by God. Once you've identified them, start using them to bless others. This text helps you think biblically. God desires for each of you to thrive in your Christian walk by thinking rightly about who you are and about your fellow believers and about your gifts. Our first point reminded us to think rightly about yourself. Paul, with apostolic authority, urged us not to think too highly of ourselves, emphasizing the need for a realistic, humble self-assessment in line with our identity in Christ. Moving on to our second point, we explored thinking rightly about your fellow believers. Paul beautifully illustrated the church as a diverse yet unified body in Christ. Our unity is spiritual, rooted in our shared identity in Christ. Unity, diversity, and mutual support characterize the vibrant expression of God's design for his people. And finally, we delved into thinking rightly about your gifts acknowledging the gifts graciously that God has given you, Paul has encouraged you to use zealously and cheerfully for the benefit of the entire body. Our motivation lies in responding to God's mercy with ongoing expressions of love, gratitude, and devotion to him. Believers, God calls you to embrace a mindset that thinks rightly in Christ. As you navigate your Christian journey, remember this truth. God wants you to think rightly about yourself and to think rightly about your fellow believers and to think rightly about the gifts that he has given to you. May your lives be a testament to the beauty that unfolds when you think rightly in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we would come to you and we thank you for instruction. And yet, Lord, we need to apply. It's one thing to hear, it's another thing to do. And Lord, where will we find the strength but by your grace? And so we do ask, Lord, even beg, that you would not let this text or these exhortations leave our minds. Oh, Lord, help us to think rightly about ourselves. Help us to think rightly about our fellow believers. Help us to identify our gifts and to use them, even with joy, knowing that you have given them to us for your glory's sake and for the benefit of the church, even the world around Oh, Lord, help us. 
we'd ask that you'd hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.